Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, and like always, we talk about the freshest of topics, and we have the freshest of guests for you. First off, Fresh of the Word has some new intro music, courtesy of the good brother Steve-O. Check out more of his music at imsteveo.bandcap.com, and that's spelled E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Shout out to Bang Belushi, Knox Money, and Foul Mouth for the previous intro, which the full song will be on a forthcoming Bang Belushi album. My guest today is certified sex educator, Al Chase, a suggestion from previous guest, Ann Hottership. Happy birthday, Ann. And we got into the importance of sex education and how to normalize it, along with body positivity and so much more. It was a great chat, and El Chase continually spreads information about sex-positive education, and most recently, resources for accountability and actions for black lives. And that's the topic I want to get into before we get into my interview with El Chase. There's a lot of information going on in the wake of the killing of George Floyd about how to fight the rampant racism that has become woven in the fabric of America. You know, I want to focus on how white people can be a better ally during these racial awake during this racial awakening. You know, as a white person myself, I've long been aware that black culture has been an important part of my life and I always try to learn more about how I carry myself within it all. You know, now I know there's a lot of information out there and I'm gonna link some resources in the show notes for this episode at freshthepodcast.com. But I want to touch on a few things real quick. Before anything, it's not enough to think you're not racist. You must be anti-racist also. That means speaking up against racist acts, whether it's coming from your friends, your family members, or even businesses you support. You have to be vigilant about being anti-racist. It isn't just enough to be to think you're not racist. Also, if you want to be a part of this Black Lives Matter movement as an ally, this is a lifelong practice. This isn't something that is just trendy right now. Because all lives will not matter until black lives matter. And in the long run, pinpointing this movement towards the brutality of black people in America and hell everywhere will make things better for everyone. 
But it's also important for white people to know that really being an ally means doing the work. There's been so many bad instances recently of performative allyship. You know, like kneeling while wearing a kente cloth or white people washing black people's feet, renouncing their white privilege. And there's even Instagram influencers. I can't even believe this. I can't even say this. It's so stupid. There's even Instagram influencers donning blackface and solidarity. (laughs) Please do not do any of this. Tell Tell your white friends not to do any of this. You don't do it. Black people are not asking for any of these performative acts. What black people are asking for is police reform. They want laws. They want real change. They don't need any illusions of activism. There, once there is, you know, becomes a time when these protests die down, are you still going to be fighting for this racism? Are you going to still be anti-racism? That's, that's an important thing to think about. That's what's important now, and it's your job as white people during this time, during this important time in society and culture, is to put in the work and learn what you need to do and listen to the experiences of black people. A lot of white people want to filter what they think through their own experiences, but white people have totally different experiences in this country than, than what black people do. It's, and it's, it's not, that's not even up for arguments. But like I said, I'll have links in the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com to understand this movement much better, you know, understanding the realities of black people and how you can be a better, you know, better ally. And one more thing before uh, we get out of here, um, please Google what defunding the police means. It doesn't mean we want to get rid of the police altogether. It just means we want to move around resources, make new laws, change things around, change budgets around so that the right people are heading up the correct problems that we have in society. Because a lot of times that's left up to the law enforcement and they're trying to deal with, you know, mental health issues, uh, be a social worker, be um, all sorts of things. And, and we leave it all up to, to cops to doing, and they have no training in any of that. So they, they confront it the same way that they're confronting, you know, criminal acts. And even the way they, you know, confront criminal acts a lot of times is too much. You know, law enforcement has become way too militarized for way too long. And we need to we need to spread out the resources. But I do feel that these protests feel different than anything else that I know maybe we've felt in our lives. And I feel like there could be some real change that happens. But like any other movement, civil rights movement that's happened, we have to keep going. It isn't just a weekend thing or a week thing or two weeks thing. This is a lifelong practice that more of us need to 
you know, bring into our daily lives just like any other practice of humanity. So please, join the movement. <laughs> All right. Now, after a word from our sponsor, let's get into my interview with El Chase. All right, welcome back to the Freshest of the Word podcast. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. And for this episode, my guest here is El Chase. She is a certified sexuality educator, pleasure advocate, body acceptance advocate, writer, coach, consultant, and her... She's always fun to bring out. She always does. She always brings out this information in a very frank and fun way, and that's why I wanted her on the podcast. Thank you for uh, joining us, Al. Thanks for having me. Yeah, though, um, you were a suggestion from uh, my uh, previous guest, uh, Anne Hottership, but I'd already been um, following you um probably because uh she mentioned you so many times in other in posts of hers and i always enjoyed uh, following you on instagram and um so it, you know it's cool to have you on the show what i like about you is that and this is something that you know you someone like ann there's other people that i really really like about you guys is that you um, you present all this information about sex education and um, about women's bodies and all this stuff, but you do it in a frank way and a very and at times a very humorous way. It's very <laughs> digestible. It isn't like you're not it's you're not making it sound like it's a taboo. Where we can have these conversations like just like any other topic, you know, like whether it's you know we talk about you know boobs in the same manner as talking about getting your oil changed or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I know more about boobs than an oil change. So. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Look, what, what's, you know, what's the importance of normalizing these conversations and having those conversations in such a, just a, a normal, you know, humorous way? Well, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's it's normalizing it. Often when you speak to people, even um, in passing or bringing up something that is completely natural and organic about you can, if, if they don't say something like, ooh, that's, you know, squicky or, or um, yeah, or they sort of um, sort of reframe it in, in more of a cagey way, it is because of that sort of taboo around sex and around sex and pleasure and wanting it and or not wanting it. Um, and it's something that we don't think of because it is it has been classically for male identified and female identified um, people in different ways. You know, uh, for instance, you know, male uh they'll sort of sow their oats and women are sluts. It can be, you know, we don't really use the term male slut. We, we use womanizer or something along those lines, um, which has its own connotation. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> pardon me. So, yeah, I think that being able to just speak about it uh, and speak about our body parts like you would speak about an elbow or a foot or uh, I have a stomach ache, or I'm really hungry, um, makes it much easier for people to uh, uh, correlate 
our sexuality as a uh, normal part of being a human being. Yeah, that's something that I've tried to practice recently, even with my friends. And I, and that's something that I've noticed, too, is that I've been able to really kind of change my friend circle to be able um, to have those conversations with my friends in just yeah. a normal way, being like, hey, I did this, whatever, blah, blah, you know, and yeah. uh, they're really accepting of it, too, to, to where they talk about it in the same manner. And yeah. I feel like it's 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 a lot easier to to get off your own anxieties about it too, you know? And a lot of times just talking about it might help resolve the issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'd be surprised, you know, talking about it freely with people that, um, that you trust will uh, normalize it for you and for them. Who knows you may have the same feelings or same similar feelings that might spark a conversation that leads to something else that you want to explore that you never thought of in that way. Um, so so it's it's really encouraged. So I'm glad I'm glad that you're doing that. So how did you like first get into this field? You know, what really sort of more motivated you to want to to learn about you know sexuality, sexual education, just the body in general, and really kind of spread the word about it. Uh, I didn't grow up really sort of connected with my body. I grew up sort of feeling neuter. Um, I'm I'm a straight woman. I'm a femme, and uh, I never sort of regarded myself uh, that way growing up. I didn't attach myself to any sort of um, sexuality as I was growing. Um, and I, I, so I never really learned about or, or discovered my sexual desires, leading me to be in a sexless marriage. I'm skipping over a huge chunk to, uh, to spare you the boredom. <laughs> but um, I was in a, a sexless marriage for all intents and purposes and, and passionless and I realized one day after watching an episode of True Blood on HBO um, that I had never uh, experienced passion. Yeah, it's crazy. And we're like that. the uh, we're like that motivation, where that like sort of moment of where it locks into your mind come from. You know, yours can yeah. be like True Blood. Mine, I've had like instances where I'm just like, oh, it makes sense now, and it just be, yeah. be the weirdest of places. Yeah, it's strange because I was in this huge depression and I, a friend told me to watch True Blood. It was, it was running at the time and um, I got sort of obsessed with it because it's just like a gothic soap opera, you know, it's yeah. a fun show. And there was a point where the two main characters finally consummate their attraction and love and it just sort of popped in my brain. I was able to really sort of vicariously experience what they were experiencing. And um, and that's when it all sort of burst forward from my psyche. And um, I, I just had this, you know, this Satori as Kerouac would say, um, this awakening, I suppose. And, um, and from then on, I became really, really uh, feeling my sexuality. So one thing led to another, I left my marriage and I, had this um, online relationship with somebody and with a man. And we would send pictures back and forth like porn about stuff we wanted to do with each other. It was 
all new to me. And he was sort of leading me like, you know, is this interesting? Is this interesting to you? And we discovered the Tumblr platform, Rip Tumblr, um, when you were able to share adult themed uh, right. pictures. And I started a, uh, a Tumblr called Lady Cheeky. Right. And um, How did I, all that feel when you were doing that with this person? It was so liberating and and exciting and not just sexually exciting but like um but intellectually exciting and i was discovering this whole new part of myself like it almost felt like if i was born without the ability to know whether i when i was hungry or not and then suddenly i could tell when i was hungry i was like oh my god where has this been all my life yeah, now i yeah. know when to eat yeah so so that was really really enlightening and there was a whole world i didn't i i had no idea about and i was in my mid 30s and mm -hmm. uh, oh no i was i was about 40 and um oh how time flies and uh <laughs> yeah. i started getting people found this um site and they started emailing me with questions and I'm like, I don't know, I run a fucking porn site. I have no idea. And uh, so I started looking up answers and wanting to give them accurate answers. And I just sort of fell in love with the, um, the genre of sexuality and of teaching sexuality because I had had such a um, mind blowing and life changing experience learning about my own. So that's how I got into it. Long way, long, long story. <laughs> I've noticed definitely recently with, um, Especially with you know the the discussions changing, the types of of discussions that are being uh, are being made between people, um, that when and I you know this is probably true for you is that when when a woman runs a you know a site like you know Lady Cheeky mm -hmm. or just does something like um, you know is a photographer and mm -hmm. and is like. Uh, Doing and just uh you know uh, shooting naked women in their yeah. um and having fun. Um, are you are you yeah. familiar with someone named El, um with uh what's her I'm why am I blanking on her name? Okay. Erica um, Lust. Uh, no. Let's let me see here. Um, why? Oh. Um, oh, Ellen Stagg. Are you familiar yes. with Ellen Stagg? I love Ellen Stagg. Yeah. I, you know, I had her on the podcast. I, mm -hmm. you know, I bought her last book. I, you know, uh, contributed to her Patreon because yeah. there's a, a whole other dynamic when I look at her uh, photography in regards to, um, you know, shooting naked ladies in regards mm -hmm. to, I, you know, there's some other ones that I, I, I checked out and I just didn't feel the, the same thing mm -hmm. because it was coming from men. What's, mm -hmm. you know, from your experience, you know, what's that difference, you know, when you're curating these, uh, these platforms coming from a woman, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just the classical way of like men, you know, creating male these gaze. platforms yeah. in the male gaze. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting because I didn't start out thinking about that. I just posted what turned me on. Um, and what turned and that's natural. me on. That's it's natural. That's, that's something and natural. Yeah. It's natural. Um, it was natural for me, you know, yeah. and, and what turned me on at the time and still is a predominant uh, theme in my life is raw passion, raw desire. Um, and that can be um, 
uh, that can be hardcore porn. Everyone has moods, you know, um, but also something that showed uh, authentic passion and desire and um, and sexual desire, as it were. Um, and so I think that being exposed to such a long um, sort of generation of of male gaze type pornography and there's nothing wrong with that right um but it is it is very heavily focused toward penis and vagina sex and what a penis wants you know what a male identified person finds sexy and that is often not uh not uh physically accurate yeah because there's uh, times <laughs> when like i'll see photography done mm -hmm. by a man and the the pose of the women will be very weird and unnatural yeah. where yeah. there's like the vagina is coming out in this weird yeah. angle well, it's cheated it's cheated in a way so that you can see the penetration and that's the or, male gaze. and it's yeah and it, it's not even with penetration it can just be like a solo yeah. naked woman and you're seeing yeah. the the vagina in a weird angle and i'm like yeah. this ain't sexy but then yeah. like I can see something like what Ellen Stagg will do and um, it's just women being playful and fun. And I'm like, right. oh, I, this, this is sexy. This is fun. Like, yeah. like you can, you can be turned on by it, but then also yeah. just appreciate it as art, you know? And, that, Absolutely. and that's, and that's I, what I like about a lot of things that come from the, you know, from a, from a woman, uh, yeah. you know, filming or, you know, shooting these sort of things is that, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be something to turn you on or have, you know, masturbate to, <laughs> if you want right, to. Right. It could be something that you can just enjoy as like, that, yeah, it, that it looks good. That yes, can, it, it just looks good like any sort of other piece of art. Exactly, and it will turn you on in certain ways that maybe other uh, other forms of art may turn you on in an inspirational way to create your own art, yeah. or yeah. in an intellectual way of wow, look at how they did this, or. But I think that because we've had uh, such a proliferation of the male gaze in porn, um, it has colored the idea of what sex actually should look like for both men and women. Yeah. And so that has created a culture of mechanical, very um, myopic types of, of sex where there is, I mean, just look now, like when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> uh, it was it was just normal to see a bush on a woman. Yeah. I mean, and a man, to be honest. Yeah. It was just complete and that was like there was no concept at that time <laughs> that there was any sort of shaving or <clears throat> removal of hair. And now if you see someone with a bush, it's like, oh <gasps> you know, oh my God, she's messy. Or she obviously doesn't care about her male partner. Or you know, that's see, and because dirty. of and because of that that uh, that that sort of mind state right now, a bush on a woman is hella sexy for me. Yeah, <laughs> I see that bush, and next thing I know, I'm like, oh, dude, come yeah. on, oh, yeah, give me that bush. <laughs> and it's so interesting too, because again, when when uh, Craigslist, when you were allowed to post personals and answer personals, rip Craigslist personals. You know, I was all over that thing hooking up, and I would find uh, I would find that heterosexual men looking for women 
mostly would be instead of like, do you want to see my dick? Or do you want this, 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 this? Or what's your body look like? Would be like, do you shave? And I initially took that to mean like, well, fuck you, right? (laughs) Fuck you. You know, I don't, I don't have a 14 year old's, you know, vulva. I'm sorry, but actually, and no, no one should say that anyway. Let me just preface preface (laughs) it. I say no one should be asking you if you shave. But what I found was that um, the heterosexual uh, male population of Los Angeles, at least was like, I like a bush. And um, I found that very interesting because if you had asked me on the street, uh, I would say, no, predominantly men right now want a, a shaved pussy. And, um, and that just wasn't accurate. So uh, to go back to your first question, when you are, when it's normalized to talk about these things, um, it is, you, you usually get more of a, uh, of a cross section of what is out there and what is not, if that makes sense. Oh no. Yeah. 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 Is there, is there, did you find that there, is there a reason why some men like a shave pussy and some like a, you know, bush or is it just a preference? Well, I'm I'm sure there are many reasons, but in my personal experience, what I have found is, um, is that to not shave is to be dirty. To not shave means that you smell more, Um, means you can't, my, you know, I had somebody that I dated for a while who would, well, not that long, but would say, you know, I can't breathe. Like, well, gosh, you know, it's really hard to breathe when you have a hard dick down your throat. So, but you don't see me saying I can't breathe, you know, it's yeah, dicks are those are big or ugly and yeah, there's a lot of things I mean, you got to deal with down there. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. They're external. They're right there. Right. Um, you got, so, you got this, uh, this frivolous sack underneath that you got to deal with. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you can look at any body part that way, really. You but, know what I mean? But, but dicks to- are, dicks are not a pretty looking thing for the most part every <laughs> once in a while you might get an erection and look down there and be like you know what that that erection kind of looks pretty i i, I don't oh, know how nice. but but for the most part dicks are kind of an ugly thing you know they're <laughs> well i you know i am partial to them so <laughs> i have to say that uh that i don't find them particularly ugly but <laughs> okay all right <laughs> all right i see what you're saying um uh, but Maybe I just is, don't like my own dick, you know. Well, also, you may not be attracted to dicks, so that might not be your thing. I'm a little, you know. I came yeah. out as queer like last fall, but I still yeah. prefer women. But yeah. you know, every once in a while, I'm like, "Yo, that dude looks kind of fly, man." Yeah, I do the same thing where I'm like, I am predominantly heterosexual, and it will be once in a blue moon where I'm not, and. I can look at a woman and just go, wow, like I'm a tit person and I'll look at someone's tits and I'll yeah. be like, oh my God, those it's are like, I'm not attracted. It's, it's that I'm not, not attracted to dicks, but yeah. it's just that I know a dick is not the, you know, most like pretty looking thing, you know? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, it's not the, it's not the prettiest part of the body. Let's right. There's like a vagina for the most part is usually pretty, you know? A nice right. ass. Well, a lot of women would would actually argue with you. Hence yeah. the uh, hence the uh, vulva reconstruction uh, industry. I know that there is vaginas that like you look at it and be like, "Yo, what the hell happened down there, man?" 
<laughs> looks like roast looks beef. So different. It looks you like know? roast looks beef so or some shit like that. And you're like, okay, what happened down there? Blah blah blah. But no, for the most part, you're you're you know, if you were to look at vaginas just yeah. randomly, they're they're a pretty looking thing, you know. The Whereas flower. dicks, you know, <laughs> kind of weird, you know. They're, the skin tone is usually different than the rest of the body. Has that weird <laughs> sack underneath, you know. Has that top, you know. Well, depending on your if you're circumcised or not. Right. It, there's a lot of there's veins. There's a lot of shit going on. There's down a there. lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, and and it all has to work together. And you're like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> come on, you know. And shit. Uh, I you know I have to say just to be the um the uh, the devil's advocate here or the uh, the alternative viewpoint is as someone who really enjoys a penis when it's something that i used to be afraid of them like in earlier life i was afraid okay. and, and they were they were very imposing and seemed yeah. almost violent even yeah, though i've okay. never you know what i mean and yeah. as there's a I lot became, of reasons why you would think that you know you yeah. have you know, you, there's a rape culture out there. Absolutely. There's and like just women, just, yeah. Just penises people... are penises. We already talked about what they look like, but then you know, there's other, there's so many things that are like anti-penis. You know. Well, and... yeah, and also like there there is something to be said for um, people with penises, men, ident male identified, whatever, who yeah. are not used to being penetrated to try anal sex because then they really tend to go, oh, I get it. Yeah. There's something that goes inside my body. Yeah. And that is that can be under the wrong circumstance, a very violating feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it can be a very um, cohesive, co-creative, um, really enjoyable, intimate experience with my partner and such vastly different connotations for that. Yeah, you know? and with men, like, when they think about, like, if, like, a penis was able to was gonna go, you know, in their asshole, mm -hmm. they think of it, you know, that they're being forced to do it. You know, it's going to be, right. like, you know, it's going to be a rape, like, situation. Yeah, or it's a gay thing. A gay thing. It's going to be something quotes. that is very yeah. violent, you know, to the, in yeah. their mind, you know. So yeah. they really don't, you know think when you know in, in actuality there's a lot of nerve endings out there there can be oh, a lot yeah. of pleasure you know yeah. that a man can you know to be fair too like the whole the anal sex culture that is out there um is is also you know the enjoyment of it is dependent too on your uh your your body's makeup because it depends also on how close those nerves are to the outside of of your skin or the outside of yeah your, yeah you know, so it's like what might be enjoyable, you know, I know people, I know women who are, they can really only come through anal sex. Yeah, and when, I know women who are like, no, I don't understand it. It does nothing for me. Yeah. And you I know, all vaginas are different. All assholes are different. Exactly, you know, exactly. it's just like when it comes to all that, you know, it's, there's no like black and white of it you know it's right, all there's, exactly. there's such a variety there's such a great area when it comes to that that you'd be like i don't know what you mean by that you know, yeah so. <laughs> exactly exactly no you got it you put the nail on the head but um <clears throat> that was a lot we just talked about you know yeah. we, just went from one, <laughs> we just went all everywhere and everything but um 
when, you know, what was the sort of like, okay, when you were kind of exploring your own sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, um, where, you know, what, what was the sort of moment when you realized that you wanted to start spreading the word to other people about this? Um, it was pretty immediate because it was such a, a, a huge, joyful discovery. It's, I, I likened it, <laughs> this is very weird, but I likened it to becoming a born-again Christian. You know, how born-again Christians are just like, you know, you will be saved, you know, join Jesus. Or you got like a really good Christmas gift and you want to show your friends. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's all of that. (laughs) It's all of that. So I was just telling all my friends and I was trying to come up with, you know, analogies. And I was diving into books and porn and trying everything sexually and talking to people. How did you sort of deal with it, though, being – coming like at a you know an older time in your life you know mm-hmm. how did you sort of deal with like you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you had a little bit of internal like embarrassment or shame that kind of naturally came with it you know I think for me what happened was I was so starved for um that part of my life to begin, or I was so excited for that part of my life, but I was also very starved of any sort of sexual desire yeah. and any sort of sexual enjoyment. Like I had never understood what, what's the big deal about sex? It's not that exciting. And then when I found out how exciting it could be, I was like, oh my God. So my, my age didn't come into play, but my body image did for a while. And so it was revolutionary what it did to change the way I perceived my body, not completely, but in a way that was workable for me to still feel sexy, if that makes sense. What did you feel about your body image when you came to this revelation? And, you know, what was sort of like the evolution of that? Uh I did not like my body. I did not feel sexy. I was not in my body. I didn't feel like a woman. I felt neuter. Um, And as I became more uh, interested in sexual pleasure and started to flirt, not even like have this lover, I started flirting on Twitter on like Twitter after dark, you know what I mean? And it was a big deal because on Twitter, they don't know what you look like. So I could really explore that sexy side of me and, um, and discover that it's there and what effect it had on the people that were open to it. So when I yeah. started to actually date, my what I felt about my body and how, how it was, uh, if it was desirous or not, was secondary to going out and getting some. <laughs> were, so, you know, at the time when you were dating, were, were you getting the, um, the reaction from these people when you finally uh, you know, saw yeah. them in real life that they yeah. were like, Oh, I'm 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 accepting of your body. Absolutely. And in fact, I have never dated more in my entire life than I did when I was heavier. And what I found, and this is what my my first lover after I left my husband described to me. This is how he described it was he could be presented with two different women, one woman that weighed 300 pounds and one woman who was like a supermodel. They're both equally beautiful. Their bodies are just different. And um, pardon me. And uh, he would go for the 300 pound woman every time, depending on 
who had a uh, a better sense of her own sexuality. He said exactly. that it was not, he did not find conventionally beautiful women attractive solely because they were conventionally beautiful. What he found attractive was someone's sense of their own sexuality, what makes them feel sexy. Yeah, because a so, lot of times, like yeah. those those things go off to other parts of their uh, personality mm -hmm. to where they're, uh, they're really, you know, you can talk to them about a lot of things. They have a sense of humor, you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're more of a complete, you know, woman. Whereas the person who doesn't have a sense of their sexuality they might actually be kind of boring, you know? It can be. Yeah. I mean, I think what he was talking about was that to be intimate with somebody who is not attached to their own sexuality is, is rote, is mechanics. Yeah, it's boring. And to, yeah, and to be with someone who is accepting of their entire sexual self is more interesting yeah, and more you can, exciting. Uh, yeah, you can, you can, you can uh, tell him what to do during sex. You can have communication yeah. because you know it. You know, you have a better idea of what you want, and being like, you can, you can tell it to him in a way to where he's not going to feel feel like, like, emasculated. You know. Well, you're more open to it, and to be honest, you know, you don't have to be fat. Uh, to hate your body. Oh, of course. So, yeah. yeah. So, in fact, I know many women who are models that hate their body more than women who are fat. And I know tons of fat women who love their bodies. Yeah. And to be honest, I lost weight because of a medical situation um, uh, a couple of years ago. And before that, I was 250 pounds. And now I'm 150. And I felt better about my body at 250 than I do at 150. So it's it has it has nothing to do with size. It has everything to do with how you perceive your size and its its place in the world. How do you if feel about sense. your body right now though? I'm coming to terms with my body right now. Losing that amount of weight at um at a later age in life does a lot to your body. Yeah. It, it does, you have hanging skin that will never get firm. <laughs> and um, and it makes the shape of your body different than what, uh, what, you, what you would think a body looks like. So getting naked when I was fat was fine for me at one point because, or eventually, because I was a fat person. People know what a fat person looks like. Yeah, and all the curves were looking like all what curves. All the curves are in the right places as far as I was concerned. And, <laughs> yeah, all know. the curves are in the right places looking yep. like what curves should be looking like, right. you know. And now I look completely different and not in any way the way someone perceiving me on the street would look like. So um, the first time I got naked in this new body was very difficult. And luckily I was with someone who um, I adored and who adored me and who, again, looked at me like my ex-lover looked at me, you know? Um, and so I'm coming to terms with it and I'm not, I'm not shy about it. I'm not, it doesn't get in the way of, uh, I don't let it get in the way of any sort of sexual um, encounter, but it is definitely marked the, the difference I feel about my body now than my body then. Um, so, and I find that fascinating, <laughs> you know? 
Um, what did you have to sort of say to yourself like these days to sort of deprogram yourself to say, hey, you know, I'm okay with how I look now? Well, I have lots of things. I'm writing a book on it, actually. And I have lots of things to say about how to get to that point. I look at media more critically. I accept my body the way it is, even if I don't like my body. And there's a big difference there because there is a huge self-help movement out there that tells you to love your body. And I don't think, to be honest, my personal opinion is we're never going to love our bodies in this society. Yeah. And so don't give that to someone, don't give that pressure to someone who it's so hard to find love for themselves. Tell them you don't have to love your body, but you do have to accept your body. Yeah. And accepting it the way it is, and again, that isn't something that's lifelong. There'll be times where you don't accept your body. There will be days where you don't accept your body. And then there'll be long stretches where you do. Everything isn't linear. Everything isn't binary. And so to, to let yourself understand that it is a process as opposed to a goal. And sometimes just having somebody like you publicly talking about it, you know, tw- um, you know, posting messages on social media will help those people be look like eh, I can't you know yeah. my body ain't that bad. Well yeah. there's there's more to a person than their their skin and bones. And yeah. it is that our skin and bones are really such a minor part of what our attraction is. And I think the more people that stand up and and say that is I think, again, like you were bringing back to that first question you had about normalizing and um, and not stigmatizing something because it is something all of us feel at some point in their lives, in our lives, at some, you know, and it is something that we struggle with, whether it's intelligence or our body or whatever. I've been somebody who's not, who's really struggled with sex during my my whole life, you know, uh-huh. um, I didn't know what I was, you know, I knew, you know, before you just had, you know, you're, you're gay or you're straight, right. Um, you're a man or a woman and none and none of the things that went with any of that, like really like connected with me. I always felt like I was in that gray area. But mm-hmm. I, but at the same time, I'm like I'm not gay. Like I under I I like women. Yeah. But I feel like there's something else there, and so I struggled with a lot of that because you didn't have the, the, the conversations about that. And mm-hmm. the only thing that was close to that was like androgyny, and you had people yeah. like. But everybody who was androgynous were either larger than life people, like, like David extreme. Bowie, you know, and yeah. people who were like Bowie asks were you know detailed as freaks, you know? Right. And so I was always like, I don't under, and all the sort of now that I, in hindsight, bad advice that you get from men, from your oh, men yeah, friends yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I never, like, I was like, I don't understand that, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And well, yeah, cause it didn't, it didn't resonate with you. It sounds none of that resonated you know? with me, but it was like when, when, the the conversation started to uh, occur about sexuality and and gender identity. That's when I you know I started like really resonating with what people were talking about. 
Right. So there's all these things. I wasn't connect. I wasn't having a sex drive. I didn't just didn't care. I was like, what's the big deal about sex? You know? Right. When I have friends that are like, oh, I haven't got pussy in four days. I'm, I'm going right. through a drive spell. I need to get laid, blah, blah, blah. And I'm yeah. like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. Um, um, yeah, we're not coming from that, that, that I was like, type of philosophy. I'm like, uh, okay. Um, good yeah. luck. <laughs> but, yeah. but in, I, in a lot of times I try to like fake it, you know, back then I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go. But at the same time, I, I felt like that was a lot of time, a lot of uh, the reasons why I wasn't successful at talking to women. Cause yeah. it was very disingenuous, you know? Using. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because it's hard enough to like put yourself out there and be vulnerable with, with someone that you're attracted to. And then add on top of that, the societal constraints of what you're supposed to be. Yeah. So, um, but I think we're coming into an age now where it has become more accepted for men to be more vulnerable because they see that is, uh, that, that is accepted and more, um, attractive to a lot of the people that they were going after. Yeah. There is a, there is a book, um, and I was trying to find the name of it, but part of my screen froze and I don't want to get disconnected from you. <laughs> um, but it's by Jane Ward and it's about men who have sex with men. And that is not meaning that they identify as gay. Yeah. They are, they identify as straight and yet they like to have sex with men as well. And it's such a, an area that is actually huge and yet so stigmatized and so shamed um, that it really sort of, it keeps people in these, in these really tight corners. Uh, but it's, it's a wonderful book and I, I wish I could remember the title, but you can find it on any of the I'll Yeah. I'll look for it in, yeah. uh, in, and noted in the notes for this episode. Um, but actually that sounds like to me that now that makes sense because mm -hmm. if someone's willing to just do that, then that means they're comfortable with themselves and they want to find other people that kind of think like them and mm -hmm. want to be able to communicate what they want with another man. Yes. It's, 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 I, you know, I understand that. And I, I would definitely like, I would definitely explore that. Oh, absolutely. And you know, this bringing up David Bowie, who is my personal hero. Um, he, he was asked once early in his career, if he was gay and he paused and he smiled and he said, um, I have a good time. I enjoy myself. And that right was there. in the 70s. You That's know what a... I mean? So it was a very classy way of just of putting, of shutting that guy up and of also normalizing. Um, That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Like, why are you even, that's a stupid question to ask. Right. That early on, you know? And what, and what, in, in my journey, what I uh, noticed was once I, um, the road to what I got to today was um, I got out and I mentioned this before we started recording. I was in a very um, emotional, abusive relationship. I was the yeah. one being abused. Like, and I didn't even, I didn't even come to the terms with the word abusive with that until years later. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know if I've ever said this on uh, out in publicly and, and I don't care at this point, 
but the the person that I was uh, in that abusive relationship was is also the person I lost my virginity to. Mm. Um, and this is in the early thirties with me <laughs> right, right, <laughs> because right. I had so, and, and it's not like I, I didn't lose my virginity before that due to lack of trying because right, I right, definitely right, right. tried, but the other part about it, that the reason why it never happened before is that alcohol had a huge yeah. bearing on my sexuality. I instantly would get whiskey, whiskey dick mm-hmm. and that would be during that time when I was just sort of faking the funk in regards to talking with women, how I like said before, but then also alcohol was the reason why I didn't have a sex drive. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that until I quit drinking about four Mm -hmm. or five uh, months after. And Mm -hmm. and when your body starts to heal from it all and you get back to your regular like feelings, I was Mm -hmm. like, yo, um, I'm kind of horny now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah. I, i'm i'm, I'm kind of horny so um yeah i went from this so after being in this uh emotionally abusive relationship a couple years you know it took me a couple years to just get back on track i uh quit drinking was that was the first thing i'm like three and a half years sober at this point mm-hmm. and um and then a year after that i started therapy then a year after mm-hmm. that i started on medication and all of that finally like got me into this clear headspace to be able to, uh, and along with, at the same time, we were finally having good conversations about gender identity. Yeah. And I finally came to, to, and believe me, I, I researched all of this for maybe well over a decade. At this yeah. point, I could probably, I'm probably a bit kind of i'm very intelligent when it comes to gender identity and well you're intelligent period yeah that's an area for you where you feel um but like i'm i'm very i'm very well schooled in those areas at this point Mm -hmm. because i was trying to find my own answers to the point where i finally was able to find what i was and Mm -hmm. you know now i you know i identify as you know like non-binary or genderqueer because mm-hmm. I feel like both my, you know, masculine side and feminine side are very prominent. Uh-huh. And neither one of them are never not prominent, you know? Right. So I right. just want to be like, okay, I'm genderqueer. I kind of, I'm girly sometimes. I'm totally yeah. girly sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And then yeah. I, you know, I came out as just, you know, I guess I was, you know, sexuality, queer or pansexual. Because, but mm-hmm. I, 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 I still very much prefer women. I love women. Yeah. Women are. There beautiful. might not be a name for it. There might be not a name for it's like. You. It might not be a name for the, like the percentage, the weight right. of what I am. So like queer or pansexual gives that sort of like. That variety, yeah. that gray area to be able because, but every once in a while I'm like. I would really like to make out with a man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I don't know how far I'd want to go with a man, but you know, maybe if I was like, we talked about earlier about like men just want to have sex with a uh, man at times. Mm-hmm. It's not a homosexual thing. You know, mm-hmm. that would actually be something that I would be down for, you know, because it would, and th- still there's struggles with me figuring out what this all means and sure. what, and also another thing that I never, um, thought about until all of this was gender expression like how mm, do you express yes. yourself 
how yeah. do you look? You know, I like the way I look, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, my, my fashion is uh, a mix of like nineties hip hop and skateboarding <laughs> and, and stuff like that. I'm not going to change that for the most part. I'm not going to like, I like, you know, wearing slightly baggy jeans and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. at the same time, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how can I put in this sort of queerness of me into my look, you know, right. Well, at the same time, I'm not somebody that wants to be flamboyant. You know, I don't right. want that. That's cool. Like people can do that, but mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, have that flamboyancy into it. But at the same time, I wouldn't mind. There's a, like, I'm, I'm figuring out the struggles that women have in regards to fashion. Mm-hmm. When yes. looking for this shit, <laughs> I'm like, you guys are fucking you guys must be going crazy when it comes to this shit. Because first off, <laughs> that fucking pocket thing and like, oh yeah, there's no pockets in pocket. or anything. And if there is pockets, they're like tiny ass pockets. Yeah. What? What? What is the problem with that? Manufacturing. Like, manufac- just put pocket. Put big pockets in things. And well, I'll tell you. I'll money. tell you what part of the problem is. Is that when you put pockets in something that a woman is wearing, right? Um, it adds fabric and it adds um, perceived weight or perceived, um, you know, yeah. bulbs where things are. Yeah. So often, you know, we won't get things with pockets on our sides because it makes our hips look bigger. Yeah. And so people won't make that shit and then we're fucked. Nah, like they, it, can, yeah. it can be done though. It can be done. But then yeah. also like, and this kind of goes, you know, to the sort of body image thing. The way the they, um, the fashion industry labels sizes is so Ugh. freaking weird. Like my size, I don't, I don't feel like I'm a big person, yeah, but in yeah. a woman's size, I'm actually a plus size. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it is. It is. It is absolutely ridiculous because it's a lot of vanity sizing and. I feel more comfortable in in what would be considered a size 12, but I also can fit into a size 10. And it, it and I have friends who are a zero that sometimes fit into a two. There is absolutely no rhyme or reason. There's only a, a and and also like sometimes a woman might need a size 14 when she's really a size eight. Because it's made smaller. Yeah. It just makes no sense. Oh, it, it's totally a mess. I'm like sitting here. Because every once in a while, I'll see something that I like in regards to pants that mm-hmm. are in the women's section. And mm-hmm. because you can't find stuff like that in the men's section. But it would yeah, still likewise. look good on a, yeah. on a man. And I'm like, and I'm looking at the, the, the sizes and everything. I'm like, yo, this is a mess. I have no it idea if this will yeah. even fit me. You know, and I was like, yeah, how do women deal with this shit? <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's really it's really especially now when, you know, we're ordering things online more. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so I just ordered these overalls uh, online and I got something that, like I said, I'm like a 10, 12. So I got something for that size and I ordered up to a 14, 16. I got it. I tried it on. It was so tight on me. So it's like, it makes no sense. Most women in the United States when measured are generally a 14. If that gives you any sort of a, a uh, idea. 
Right. It and the thing is too, in regards to like men's fashion, all of a sudden over the past few years, there's all this thing about like slim jeans or skinny jeans and stuff yeah. like that. And I don't like that. I I like loose fitting jeans and stuff like that. I've always been that. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is I can a lot of times I can find that stuff in the women's section yeah. where they might have like cargo jeans, like cargo pants that are baggy and stuff or like and I'll be like, Oh, let me let me get those man like yeah i remember trying to find a pair of white jeans for myself and it was uh, so yeah. hard to find i finally yeah. found some pair like from levi's that were yeah. skinny but like men's fashion is so boring to me yeah that i'm like yeah i'll see women's stuff and then i'm like like i want that as like in more of a, a cut for a unisex or a mat you know a man's yeah. cut and it'll be like a dress or something, and I'll be like, "Oh man, like how? Yeah, how can I deal with that?" So that's that's like my my gender identity sort of going through right now is kind of wading the waters of fashion to what looks good on me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be I'd be I'd be the person too, and this is like totally girly side of me where I'll see a dress and I'll be like, "That looks so cute," but it's probably not going to look good on me. <laughs> Ah, yes. I, I hear you on that one. <laughs> right. right. Oh, God, I'm constantly going, God, that looks great. And then I get home and I put it on and I was like, wow, I look like um, a Lego person. Weird. <laughs> it's very strange. No, um, you know, a topic that I, um, I brought up to you before we started recording mm-hmm. and I just kind of mentioned was the, the idea of, of um, emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. And from, you know, definitely from another person that you're in a relationship with, how can that sort of affect, you know, your body outlook, your, your sex drive and whatnot? Because a lot of times a, a uh, emotional abuser will use those things as a weapon towards you. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's trauma and especially with emotional abuse, there's usually a lot of gaslighting that if that's not the primary form of emotional abuse, then that is something that's a comorbidity of of whatever kind of emotional abuse you're going through. So there's a lot of self-doubt that, that can come into play. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist or any of that, but I had an emotionally abusive relationship um, with a boss and worked 60 hour weeks. So it might as well have been, you know, uh, and that was 20 years ago and I still have bad dreams about it. So if you think about it, any kind of emotional abuse that you have uh, will filter into all different points, parts of your life. And when that comes to sex and if it, when it comes to sex education, I think that when people are teaching sex, um, like other sex educators, they have to be aware and have to assume that at least half of who they're teaching have been through some sort of abuse, if not sexual abuse, yeah. and and really frame their lessons and their speaking in a way that is inclusive of that, because it's so prevalent. And these people are not alone and should feel like they are accepted and that uh, they're being made way for to sort of shepherd them through uh, a healing process um, that is, if it is 
uh, impacting their sexual uh, enjoyment. There are, there are books, there are therapists, there are resources, all of that, um, because it, it can manifest in so many different ways from self-cutting to, uh, to, uh, to having sex when you don't really want to have sex, but consenting to it, you yeah. know, um, to uh, abusing another. So I don't know if that's helpful. Like these days we're like in this, you know, we're, we're in this quarantine, there's a global pandemic happening and you, you, you see a lot of rhetoric from people, whether it's like the productivity experts or, mm. you know, anybody who's kind of like a life expert and or quote yeah. unquote yeah. expert self-help industry, yeah. self-help, you know, kind of telling well, you things that you need to be doing during this when at the same time, I feel like they're not saying that it's okay to do nothing and kind of right. take this time to sort of just be or kind of catch up on your life or yeah. like, well, that's you, capitalism. Yeah. So like, so, like, yeah, it, this all reminds me of like when I was, you know, younger going, like when growing up and then being in my twenties, that was the peak of the, you know, 10 ways to get chicks like era. right of course yeah, <laughs> yeah. so how yeah. can anybody like how can anybody get to the other side of like of a relationships when you're like always hearing that shit because it was so yeah awful. and we're not so far <laughs> off from that type of thinking so we're still trying to muddle our way and figure out different ways to and healthier ways to get what we want in that respect yeah the douchiness of trying to like Ugh. pick up chicks has turned into like the professional like like entrepreneurship yeah it's, it's yes. the same thing yes well it's sales <laughs> you're so. like i'm like this guy because um okay like my my therapist is a woman and mm -hmm. she's helped me out so much like so yeah. much i love her like but there's certain things where she's like you know i think it would be better if you went to see a a male th therapist mm -hmm. and i i kind of fought against it for like a long time. I still haven't gone to a male therapist, but it wasn't mm -hmm. until the last time I went to see her that I, I finally, it was like, I understand what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But my problem was once, um, I was researching this and this is why, you know, even though you're not a therapist or anything, but like, this is why I like people like you or Anne or whatever is that, when I'm researching this, like the women online who are therapists, whatever, their descriptions, their sort of whole platform is very welcoming, very mm -hmm. empathetic, empathetic. The men, it, w if, it felt like they were trying to sell me something. Yeah. Everything was like a sale. It was like basically the how to pick up chicks, you know, thing, yeah. but for like but like for your life and like therapy. And I was just instantly turned off by them all. I'm like, Ugh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just like, they're coining, well, yeah. they're coining themselves with like someone like, I'm sure this guy's a nice guy. I don't want to like drag him through the mud. I don't know him, but yeah, he coined yeah. himself. He coined himself Detroit's love guru. And <laughs> well, I there's couldn't, a problem with that on so many levels. And I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't like take him serious. I'm sure he's a nice guy, 
I'm sure. Oh, sure. I'm sure you know, he's fine. Anyone, when anyone puts themselves on a pedestal, uh, it totally puts the hackles up in the back of my neck because you're basically telling people I have all the answers. Yeah, and I couldn't, and I couldn't, and I, yeah. I just couldn't, man. And and the the ones that I did reach out to, like email, just to get more information about, mm-hmm. you know, setting up something it still didn't feel as easy as it did when I was contacting the women that mm-hmm. were, um, you know, that I, I would contact before. So, so like, like my question is, is like, how important is it to sort of have that empathetic welcoming tone when you're, when you're passing along all this information and what do you feel like more men need to do in regards to this whole conversation in regards to sex education? Um, <clears throat> well, I think when you're in the self-help industry or you're in the, the helping industry, um, and it is an industry, which is also very important to Yeah, it's a business. Realize. It is business. But finding someone who speaks to you, regardless of where they come from or who they are, is something that's very important. And if it's the empathetic I think people in the helping industries are much more um, <clears throat> uh, effective when they are empathetic because that's what you go to them for, right? You go yeah. to them for help. And so you want someone who's going to feel your pain and help your pain. Um, as far as men go, um, you know, I don't want to classify that that it is a, a male quality, but I think I think the outmoded ideas of a pickup artist or a men's rights advocate or something along those lines um, is is harmful and um, and certainly not the way the world is going. It's out it's outdated, outmoded, and is not going to. And someone definitely that calls them, in my opinion, calls themselves a guru is it just it completely squicks me out and uh i i just immediately think of i'm being sold something yeah yeah so i think that if people this is also goes to um religious beliefs throughout history that are trying to manipulate it doesn't have to be a uh a male or a female you know it is someone who is trying to sell you something so i would definitely look out for that and you can also take wonderful and valuable information. Sorry, it's garbage day here, so I'm sure you can hear the, the garbage. It's not too Try. bad. Um, but you can also take things that are very valuable from texts that don't resonate with you. So, for instance, I, I don't read the Bible, but I will hear a Bible verse every once in a while and go, wow, if you take the name Jesus out of this, it makes sense you know, and slip in whatever you want to slip in, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) You know, I grew up, my mother was a very new age. And so she would talk about healers and channelers and and Reiki and all the stuff that's not um, Western medicine. And so I grew up with a type of understanding of that, but I don't take it all to heart. I will use it and go, oh, so that's what that modality was teaching. I can take that and and I can I can sort of merge it with my beliefs. And then I come up with something that I can articulate that is a belief system that helps me. That sounded really 
like a long way to go for for a short answer. Oh no, no, but that's a good uh, segue. Like, talk more about you know when it comes to you being a sex educator. Like, where do you get all yours? Like, where does everything come from? Like, just in the way you explained it, um, in regard from just from the education, the information standpoint, but then also from I guess spiritual aspects or other things, you know, what, you know, where does all your sort of knowledge in how you present it come from? I think it's just a life lived, to be honest. I think everybody has their own, um, their own life, their own journey, their own, uh, point of view. And I, that's why I think it is, uh, so important to like investigate a therapist that, that you're interested in. And if they, you don't feel like they hear you or that they're speaking or, or understand what you're talking about, there is someone out there that will because life experience is so diverse. Um, it's, it's, it's important to be able to speak your own truth, to use a hackneyed phrase, and to incorporate it with the ideas that you want to impress upon the world because there will be people that will only hear the way you put it. And then there are other people like Anne Hottership and I speak very differently. And she speaks to, uh, to a particular group that would never, ever hear what I have to say and <laughs> vice versa. Right. So um, same with my friend, Emily Morse, who has a popular radio show on Sirius Radio, Sex with Emily. Yeah. We do, we speak completely different languages when we're teaching, but she speaks to such a huge population that would never hear what I have to say. <laughs> and it's so important that she exists because she is able to get in there and, and speak about sex positivity, right. To, to people that might never have heard of that before. Yeah. And I so, and enjoy, and I enjoy yeah. how she does it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, she shows people and models to people um, that have never had sex education or maybe have had very little or have questions that they're afraid to ask anybody. Um, she models to people a, a shame-free way to, uh, to look at their lives and to help themselves and to help their partners and meets, their part meets them where they are. And so whoever you are learning from in any realm of your life, uh, are going to meet you where you are so that you can understand um, more about yourself. I usually wrap things up by asking um, people from time to time to suggest somebody who might be a good, um, you know, person to have on this podcast, you know, um, yes. who, who would, uh, who would you uh, select? I think Joe Ellen naughty would be wonderful. She just wrote a book um, about sex and depression and uh, it's something people don't normally talk about. So I think that that's a really, uh, a really important topic that needs to be brought to light. Cool. So I like her. Cool. Okay. Now, where can people go online to get more information and follow you and everything? Um, I, on social, I'm The L Chase. Um, and uh, my, my website is lchase.com. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Fresh of the Word podcast, hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash Fresh of the Word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com, and that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. 
Fresh is the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh is the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh is the word. Follow Fresh is the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh is the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh is the Word. For more information about Fresh is the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshisthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.